Welcome back to the Apple of Truth Does Coraline the Book. We obviously didn't finish last time. <laughs> That's what he said. But maybe we shall finish this time. I love that this is going to be our intro. I'm Vero. And I'm Lena. AKA the one with the jokes. Well, then let's get into chapter five. We are now on page number 59 for me, 65 for you. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're already changing. Like, you know. You said six pages extra, so you have to be on 65. Um, no, I'm not. I am on chapter 61. How did that happen? I know how it happened because you have different amount of... Pictures. Oh, yes. Every chapter has a picture for me. Yeah, not all of chapters have a picture for me. Okay. Although they do, but in different times. So maybe it's just spaced out differently. Curious. So we go into chapter five, page 59 for me and 61 in Vero's edition. And I am impressed by the fact that Coraline makes herself proper food. Like, yes, she makes it from frozen things, but she even ends up going to the supermarket to buy food from like her safe change and everything. And this is a level of capability that we never see in movie Coraline. Yeah, in the movie, she feels very whiny about the whole like, I'm on my own thing which is fair enough to me movie Coraline does not seem 11 movie Coraline seems six or seven book Coraline is believably 11 I was able to make my own food at 11 from stuff that was there I was able to go to the supermarket and buy me extra shit with my own money because I had like an allowance and everything so this is the behavior that I expect with six years I would not expect you to be able to do more than maybe push a few buttons on a fucking microwave you know so movie Coraline always reads to me much younger also because she is missing all the empathy this Coraline is much more complex on like an emotional and psychologically level which requires her to be older yeah we get to see her in a monologue that's probably a lot of the reasoning behind that but it's not just that it's her behavior as well so you're right I love that she locks the door and she tries to put the keys back but she fails so hard <laughs> Yeah, but I think that at this moment she thinks that everything is going to be fine because she left, she dodged a bullet, everything is going to be grand, she's never going to go there again and now all that needs to happen is that her parents need to come home. Only when that does not happen she starts to realize that this is a problem. Yeah. I kind of really enjoyed her solitude, if you know what I mean. She spent two whole nights without her parents. Yeah. We kind of witness the passage of time through her meals. As we said, we see her eat a lot and she just accepts for so long that her parents aren't there. She manages to take care of herself. I wonder how is it possible that she is not that phased? I mean, she is phased, but like, has she been left on her own before? Has she taken care of herself by herself before? Where is this coming from? Yeah, I think so. Because I think she is used to making her own food every time her dad makes a recipe. So... Making her own food is not something that is going to be a challenge for her. And because her parents seem to be very busy with work, for whatever reason, she is used to busy herself. Usually with the knowledge of safety that her parents are there, because later on we get the story about the wasps, which fucking broke my heart. But that the parents are not here, I think that Coraline, because she is still a child, she holds on to the hope that everything is going to be okay once the parents get back and they will come back. Because only once the cat wakes her does she say they are not coming back, at least not on their own. And that is then the moment where she's like, okay, I am going to have to fix this. Until that moment, she is a bit like the fucking bird with the head stuck in the sand. Everything is going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine. No, it's you mean not. mean an ostrich? Ostrich, that is the word. I could not remember the English word. The German is Strauss. There is a lot of things happening. She uh, decides to bide her time a little bit by visiting the missus. Yes, who are not going to the theater. They are planning to visit their niece. Yeah. Small difference. And... They actually do leave here. Yes, they are not dependent on the parents. But she tries to tell them what's going on and 
she says, I'm on my own. I think I've probably become a single child family, which is so, so well phrased. I love that. It's very childlike phrasing, but it's also very accurate. Yeah, but the grown-ups don't pay attention to what she's actually yeah, saying. I which... really don't like that. But that is like the baseline that is very well taken over into the movie. Though in this moment, the actresses actually do listen to her with the my parents are gone missing so they can't drive you like they only listen to the part that is relevant to them and affects them but they actually do listen that the parents are missing here yeah. they don't pay attention at all and then Coraline goes back into the flat and she writes the most beautiful story that puts everybody to shame I love it it goes Coraline's story there was a girl her name was Apple she used to dance a lot she danced and danced until her feet turned into sausages the end great story And then she prints it out. Yes. Did you not enjoy printing shit on the computer when you were smaller? Girl, you are very... I just told you... How many times did I tell you we were very poor? We didn't have a printer until I was like 15. My dad would like take leftover like electronics from his work because he worked in like a like electronic area so we had a lot of like old sorted out items and then my brother would learn how to like fix shit and everything so we had a bunch of really old tech like I had an Amiga and a C64 and everything like because they just got like sorted out at, at, at the offices back to the children's book she prints out her story and we love that because why the fuck not I do want wonder if her parents ever read that story because it never comes up again. Yeah, it's delightfully weird. She is delightfully weird. Yeah, that is the perfect description of Coraline. Delightfully weird. Yes. See, the thing is, right? Book Coraline is delightfully weird while uh, movie Caroline for most of the time is obnoxiously weird. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Yes, exactly We figured that. it out. I know. This is amazing. So she prints it out. She goes to sleep and she wakes up in the middle of the night. She goes into her parents' room and the room is empty. And this is the time where it finally hits her. It catches up with her. And she, she begins to cry. I feel so much worse for Coraline here than I did for movie Coraline. Like, I felt bad for movie Coraline, but I really, really, really feel bad for Coraline. Yeah, because we really had the time to let that sink, that she's there by herself, and she doesn't let it get to her for so long. She does so well. And it's wild to me because we are just over 60 pages in. Like, this is not a lot of time for a book. Like, you and me both are used to reading so much longer books. And here, with just 60 pages... Gaiman has given us a character that we already care so much about and like relate to on so many different levels. So yeah, guess he really knows his craft, huh? <laughs> I guess so. And so she decides to sleep in there, which... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the movie has the addition of her making a pillow parents, which helps us making her more endearing, I suppose. But at that point, she was already so rude to YB that I'm like a little done with her <laughs> in the film. So, you know. But then uh, the cat wakes her up. Yes. Exactly the same way we see in the movie with the paw on the face. Yeah. The normal way of cats waking up a human. Yeah, absolutely. Usually is to be fed. But this time, he's got other plans. Maybe he's just hungry. No, because he actually has like a message to pass on, but he doesn't speak in this world. But he blinks. And you as a cat owner, of course, know the language of blinking. When your cat looks at you and you say something and the cat does the slow blink, you know, that is a confirmation. So Coraline goes through the same process with, okay, blink means yes. Coraline understands that the cat is trying to show her something and follows the cat to the mirror, which is the big mirror at the end of the hallway, which, of course, Neil talks about in the introduction that I read. So this is taken from Neil's life. And in that mirror, we get the parents being trapped. We get the helpers written on the mirror. But very differently than in the movie... Coraline is actually a very rational person because who are you gonna call? Police! Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, that went really well for you. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, if she knew of the Ghostbusters, she probably would have called the Ghostbusters. <laughs> 
Yes, because uh, the Ghostbusters existed at that point, right? Uh, yeah. But as we have, because it's 1989 that Ghostbusters came out, but because she is more a book reader than a telewatcher, which we have already figured out, she wouldn't really know them. Sad, sad, sad. No, but so she calls the police... And the policeman is incredibly condescending. So once again, a cap. Sorry, a child calls you in distress and you have nothing better to do than to belittle that child. See, the problem is, first of all, that Coraline is too calm for her own good. Yeah, She's but, too rational. But that saying is the story. so sucky that if you're not throwing a tantrum, people are not paying attention to you. Like that in general is something that annoys the shit out of me. Because it's like... Oh no, because I'm still in control of my basic bodily and emotional functions, I'm not actually in pain. No, no, that's not how it works. And just because you're still able to, like, not die, doesn't mean you're not actually in desperate need of help, be it physical or mentally. Fuck that. And when a child, a young child, calls you and says that the parents are gone, like... I feel that the least you could do is, like, send a car by. Yes, for sure. Because it's like, okay, so your parents aren't in the bedroom. It's in the middle of the night. You're sure the parents aren't in the house. Like, even if they're just out partying or something. A child should not be alone in the house all by themselves, yeah. I'm not a fan of the cops, don't get me wrong. And usually it escalates more than it should when a cop actually comes by. But the utter dismissiveness that the fucking cop on the phone does is just like, fuck you, you know? Not that he could actually have done anything about the situation. Yes, I get that. But still, (laughs) it's like, come on, take people fucking seriously when they even bother to call you and ask for your help. Well, to be fair, if there was a trusting policeman coming over and going with her to the other world. He would probably die a horrible death because he doesn't know what she does. So, you know, it works out for the best. I actually think that if he came over, the door would not work and thus her parents would just be gone and then Coraline would be put into foster care and her parents would be trapped forever. Oh no! Oh no! (laughs) This is actually good that the cop is such a dickhead. Yes, exactly. So she realizes that there is no saving from the outside. She needs to do it herself. And she needs to do it herself. And now we get a piece I assume you want to read out because now we get the wasp story. We get the wasp story. It is on a page of 69 of my book. It starts. Coraline grabs her stuff. She grabs some fruit, some of the apples. She brings the stone. She puts it in the pocket of her dressing gown. And with the cat, she heads out towards the uh, door. I just want to mention, movie Coraline is much more competent with an actual bag and not fucking dressing gown pockets. Anxiety. Anxiety We are in agreement. Also, at least she dresses into actual clothes in the film, which, again... For once, movie Coraline more competent. In this point, yes. So Coraline decides to tell a story to the cat. When I was a little girl, said Coraline to the cat, when we lived in our old house a long, long time ago, my dad took me for a walk on the wasteland between our houses and the shops. It wasn't the best place to go for a walk, really, but I kept telling them I wanted to explore it. So one day, my dad put on his big brown boots and his gloves and put my boots on me and my jeans and sweater and we went for a walk. We must have walked for about 20 minutes. We were down this hill to the bottom of a gully where a stream was when my dad suddenly said to me Coraline run away up the hill now he said it in a tight sort of way urgently so I did I ran away up the hill something hurt me on the back of my arm as I ran but I kept running the air was alive with yellow wasps we must have stepped on a wasp's nest in a rotten branch as we walked And while I was running up the hill, my dad stayed and got stung to give me time to run away. His glasses fallen off when he ran. I only had the one sting on the back of my arm. He had 39 stings all over him. We counted later in the bath. So, said Coraline, later that afternoon, my dad went back again 
to the wasteland to get his glasses back. He said that he wasn't scared when he was standing there and the wasps were stinging him and hurting him and he was watching me run away because he knew he had to give me enough time to run or the wasps would have come after both of us. And he said that wasn't brave of him doing that, just standing there and being stung, said Coraline to the cat. It wasn't brave because he wasn't scared. It was the only thing he could do. But going back again to get his glasses, when he knew the wasps were there, when he was really scared, that was brave. She took her first step down the dark corridor. The cat padded along beside her. Coraline said, when you're scared, but you still do it anyway. That is brave. It is a very shortened version of the story that she tells as they are getting on the way. And it is so beautiful and it is so true. It's something that resonates, I have to believe, with anybody who reads this. Because it is true. Anyone who had a good parent or a parent figure. I mean, the principle of the thing, the the last sentence, it's not about a parental figure. It's about... No, but learning this concept in this context requires like a, a guardian. It doesn't have to be a parent. It has, it, like, it can be like a, an older other child, stronger other child. It can be like an, a relative, a non-relative, whatever. But someone who protected you, who t who taught you by example, because I feel like understanding that being brave means doing something while you're scared is something that you learn better through example than through experience. So yeah, no, like this is one of the moments where my, my inner soul goes like bawling because like, fuck you, Neil. It's a lot. But as they are going through the corridor now and she uh, brought a candle because obviously her, her flashlight was out of battery, something blows the candle out. And I don't know if it's the slow thing in the corridor or if it's Beldam. I think it's the thing in the corridor. I don't know which one is worse, to be honest. No, I think it's a it's a thing in the corridor because I don't think that the corridor is actually like um, part of Beldam's part. power. Yeah, I suppose. Because the only part of her that actually enters it later on is the hand after it's cut off. And it's already struggling and everything. So I feel that the candle is being blown out by the ancient evil that is there. Mm -hmm. And we get the same with the, oh, mistaking Beldam for her mother, running there, being hugged and everything. And then realizing, oopsie, it's the wrong one. And so we have another food scene, but Coraline does not eat. Which I appreciate because like on the one hand, she already ate the food. So technically she probably already is like tainted by having eaten the fairy food. But on the other hand, it makes sense to be like, okay, I'm not going to eat anymore. Because she actually brought like the apples and like stuff from home. Which given the story that a girl named Apple and now she brought apples, it's like, go girl. I mean, having apples was majority of her food intake during those two days when she was there by herself so I don't think there was anything else that she could have brought like she couldn't really brought frozen pizza could she yeah which is a shame like she should have made some like she should have microwaved some pizza and then just bring cold pizza I think that she should have just brought the frozen pizza and just asked the other father or the other mother to warm it up for her because she won't eat that shit I mean she can work a microwave herself so this looks fine but I'll have my own thanks I brought my own food and just stick it into the microwave yeah I would have liked that I don't know if they would have microwave though I would say that they are very much the oven only posh fancy situation but now after she refuses the food we get one of the most disturbing moments in the entire book and that is the illusion Beldam shows her on the mirror about her parents leaving her. How happy her parents are that they are finally free of the burden that is their daughter. And like so many things that and so many story points that Gaiman uses in this story are like classic psychology things with the depending on which part in the family is the one with the issues. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. But I kind of love that Caroline, in general, we get a lot of hints, especially in this part of the book where she not just tries to be braver than she actually is feeling, but she actually comes across that way that she doesn't want this to be true. So she said, I don't believe you and I haven't seen anything that whatever. And her demeanor is strong enough that even though she has doubts in the back of her mind, 
Beldam believes that Coraline doesn't believe it and then gives it away. Yeah, and that in turn leads Beldam to give away the illusion and then Coraline knows that she's right. Yes. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Again, the stone doing a bang-up job there, helping her keeping a clear head. After the illusion, we have the same situation with a red being sent to collect the key because there is only one key, which is an important note for the end of the story that the key needs to be taken care of to solve all of this. But we don't get the gross swallowing. We get it put into your apron. Yes. There is only one key because there's only one door, which means this is not a mirror universe. It is like an alternative universe or like a pocket universe that has the same entrance both ways, basically, which is interesting concept. I mean, only one entry point, like only one door does not mean only one entry point. We don't know if the door could move. You have watched enough Doctor Who to have this make sense. Like a door is a door, but a door does not need to be in the same location every time. It very much feels familiar. But we get the key, the key goes into the apron, and then because Coraline does not want to play any games or eat any food, the other mother is like, well, I'm going to sleep. Which I find very, very curious. She is very confident that Coraline can't leave now. Yeah, but also, why would you go to bed unless you need to rest, you know? So to me... in that sense. That means, like, if she actually goes to rest... And even if Coraline can't leave, she still knows that Coraline is going to like explore and fuck around and potentially find out. So Beldam going to sleep right now, to me, says that she needs to rest right now for whatever reason. And so that is curious to me. And obviously, because the other mother goes resting, Coraline goes exploring meanwhile, because what else would she do? She does not want to spend any time in that weirdly painted room that she has. Yep. And I kind of understand that I'm kind of on her side when it comes comes to I don't feel comfortable sleeping in this stupid world yeah or like using anything that the other mother has given her be it food or board or whatever yeah because it kind of gives the impression that she is accepting it and she is accepting the situation exactly which because she is very stubborn again something that I can very much relate to what she refuses to give in yeah which is also going to save her fucking life so yay She's not stubborn, she's strong-willed. I like that. Mm-hmm. I will uh, embrace that for myself. Good. No, because stubborn has such a negative connotation and I hate that. Because, like, seriously, most people that I know that are called being stubborn, no, they just have a strong stance within themselves and have, like, strong convictions and shit like that. So, fuck off. <laughs> now, Coraline does go exploring and she expects kind of to find what she's used to from home. But, and this is quite similarly done in the film, she finds kind of nothingness, empty world, mist, as one might call it. And she doesn't even know if she's walking on something at one point. Which looks amazing in the movie, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, it really does. But it's like first the trees become the idea of trees and then even that is gone and it's just the mist and it it is actually quite scary like walking through nothing you have not watched or read the never-ending story right i've watched the never-ending story Uh, do you remember the nothing i'm deeply traumatized do you remember the nothing in the never-ending story i think that i blocked out most of the story so because i find it so interesting the nothing here is so very different than the nothing in a never-ending story because the nothing in a never-ending story is destructive. It eats up everything it touches. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. And in the movie, the nothing is represented as a blackness because you cannot depict nothing visually. But in the book, the nothing is nothing. Not It is not describable because it is nothing. And here we are in a space that is nothing. But instead of being destructive, it's nothing. Because being destructive already is something. So this variant of a nothing makes a lot more sense to me than the destructiveness of the nothing in the never-ending story. So I just found it interesting because in the book and in the movie, the nothing here is depicted as white. And the nothing in the movie for an ending story is black. So it's very like the juxtaposition of the two of them. Because like those are very well-known nothings. Yeah, I really like that. In the nothingness, we meet the cat 
And the cat is not very happy that Coraline is here and basically tells her that she should not be here because there's nothing here for her. And so I do wonder if this nothing, if you spend too much time in it, might actually be detrimental to you. Well, is it distracting or is it just consuming? I don't know. Like, I don't know if it would do anything. But the cat being uneasy about Coraline being there tells me that there was more to the nothing than nothing. <laughs> mm. I know. But I'm they amazing. get into conversing about the name again because the cat shows up and Coraline's reaction is, oh, it's you. And he goes, well, you'd see, you knew it was me. You don't even need to know my name. I don't need a name if I have a f- strong sense of self-identity. Which is true, in a way. And then she tries to convince the cat, saying, yeah, but like, if I want to call you, what would I call you if I want to call you? What if I want to say that the dinner is ready? Wouldn't You wouldn't want to miss dinner. And he goes, well, you just call out dinner and I come. Which, fair enough. This is how cats work. Yeah, I can't even say the word, the specific word that I use with my asshole, but <laughs> she would get really Excited. clingy. Yeah. We also get the moment here where the cat tells Coraline that Beldam does want something to love or something to eat. It is hard to tell with those old things. And I do wonder if the cat is older than it seems or if all cats simply have a natural understanding of the old things. Because I feel like both is possible. I think all cats have natural understanding of these things. But I also think that this specific cat is a magical, ancient creature. Because I don't. I think this cat is simply showing Coraline more layers than other cats have been willing to show us. But I think all cats are capable of doing this. Interesting. Simply because we have never been put in such a dangerous situation. Our cats never had the necessity to show themselves to us in this way. Interesting. To me, I'm seeing it more like, uh, do you know how in Narnia some animals can talk and some don't? Yes. Some some animals are just beasts and some animals have the intelligence. So this is kind of like a similar principle to what I'm seeing this specific cat to be like a, a little bit of a higher on the food chain than just a regular cat. Doesn't mean that the regular cat is not, you know, very smart and has its own ways of living and knowing things. But I genuinely feel like this specific cat is special. Every cat is special. So I'm going to stick with works. mine. Both works. Also, very importantly, we get the info that Beldam loves a challenge here and so while we finish the walk back that is all the same as in the movie we come back to where we left and she's very confused and la 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 and at the end she decides to actually go to sleep in the disgusting room she barricades herself in because she's smart yeah it's not fully her decision to do this she is told by the cat you should get some rest because you have a long day ahead of you again it gives me the insight of this being much more realistic to real life because truly what pisses me off is when we have heroes or heroine who uh, doesn't sleep doesn't eat doesn't use the bathroom doesn't do anything that a normal never human uses does. the bathroom that is true not that we know of <laughs> Maybe she beat her pants. But she does take a bath. Multiple times. So I would assume that when she like takes a bath, she also took care of business. In the bath? No, before... <sighs> I know, that was a joke. People pee in the shower, not into the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, by having this idea of like, she is a child after all. She does need her rest. Also, she's human. Yeah, even if she wasn't like, you know, we can persevere and whatever through difficult times, but she has a dead time now and it's good for her to get at least some rest in, even though... And if she doesn't rest, all of her roles are going to have like a handicap in the next session. So, of course, she's going to go rest. Levels of exhaustion are not something to mess around with. Unless you have a high tolerance for them, as my character does. So I get to ignore one level of exhaustion. Oh! Yeah, it saved my butt several times. <laughs> Listen, we're not here to talk about D&D again. I'm not talking about <laughs> D&D. I'm talking about the dark eye, okay? Oh, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Coraline goes to bed, but she barricades the door because she wants to make sure that she notices if anyone comes in, which is very smart. And so I appreciate that a lot. Also, she realizes that the barricade's not going to stop the door from being open. She just wants to make sure that she wakes up. Yeah, which is a reasonable expectation and a valid plan. And with this, she goes to bed. All right. So Coraline wakes up. 
She is really, really smart. She only came over in her pajamas and her dressing gown and her slippers. Yeah, which great job, Coraline. <laughs> this is the one moment when the movie Coraline is actually smarter than the book Coraline because she at least yeah. like put on normal clothes. Even though that was actually there was a clothes that was given to her by the other mother in the film. So I mean, yeah, but she, she brought a bag. Like to me, I don't care as much about the clothing. I care about the bag that she brought a proper bag to put everything in. It's so much. Smarter. And she like, she comes with real weapons. Like she comes over with the shears. Yeah, we don't have any garden shears. We never mentioned that. Like Coraline's strongest weapon in the movie is missing the garden shears. I know. I know. Which it's a little brutal. Yeah. I mean, the shears or the fact that it's missing here. Both. Yes. That's <laughs> the answer. I was no. So for. she wakes up and she starts thinking that maybe she should not be in her dressing gown and everything. But she's not really happy with the options of clothing because most of the options are costumes. Because dressing up is so much fun, Vero. Yeah, that's weird. But she kind of keeps on with this and she eventually finds black jeans made of a velvet night and a grey sweater, the color of thick smoke with faint and tiny stars in the fabric, that which... Twinkled. Which basically is the outfit that she gets as a present from the other mother in the movie. And I really appreciate like this tiny level of detail. Yeah, because it comes from the same place. It is both made by the other mother. Yeah. And then she starts putting her items into her other pockets. So she keeps <laughs> the <pockets>. apple and... <laughs> She keeps the stone and the moment she touches the stone, it is like fog cleared from her mind, which is another repetition of the stone protecting her on multiple levels. Here we get the mental level. It's the stone. It's the stone. I really appreciate the fact that she is still carrying around the apples. Yes. It's so true. It's just so realistic. And then she comes downstairs and she has a little chat with dad. I mean, with the other dad. And this again is like very similar to the movie, but also also very different but what is the same is that the other father here also overshares quite a lot and it also has like negative consequences for him later on why do we think he's such an oversharer did we figure it out i think because he talks and that is the problem same with the dogs the talking is the bad thing like beldam's yeah. control isn't absolute he has a need to chat with people Chatty people are a problem. Because that is one of his reasons of being. He mentions that there is a vermin problem. And oh, yeah. obviously Coraline goes to the assumption that he's talking about the rats. But which no, he's any talking about the cat. reasonable person would. But no, he's talking about the cute, cute little cat. Mm. A baby cat. And he also shares that there is nothing that the mother didn't make. So here we very explicitly get the information that there only is basically the house and the super close surrounding of it. And that is it. So there is no point in exploring anything outside of the house. Well, yes. But like also uh, that is what he thinks because there's still the corridor and there's the something other thing in the corridor. Yeah, but that is in the house. Yeah. There is nothing outside of the house. So when Coraline is like, oh, I'm going to go explore. And he's like, there is nothing to explore. She only made this and she didn't make anything else, yeah. which is part of the oversharing. And so Coraline leaves the other father and she goes explore the house for a bit, basically. We have the snow globe on the mantelpiece thingy that is happening here. I was a bit exasperated that she didn't instantly realize that this is her parents. Mm -hmm. It's so obvious. To be fair... Later in the book, she states in her inner monologue that she should have noticed it right away. So there is that at least. But so she sees the snow globe on the mantelpiece with the two figures inside. And she realizes that this is different. <laughs> and then she puts it back. And I'm like, oh, girl, really? There is several little things that are said like word for word in the book that kind of got me a little frustrated at this moment. But... Mm -hmm. Also, it's actually so funny. And I also don't know how... I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but I don't know personally how well I would have caught on if I didn't already know the snow globe is important from the movie. Really? To me, it is so incredibly obvious so. because it is the one thing that the other mother didn't copy. There is yes. no relation to it in the real world. Yes, and that is all true. And I think that there is a very good possibility that I would have noticed, but I don't know because... The way it's written, it's written really cleverly. Do you think we should maybe next time do the book first and then the movie when we cover 
well, a movie book combination. Because there are other things that I wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have known the other way around. Yes, and but maybe we should switch it up the next time we decide we to make a movie goes. book connection. We'll see if that would work. Um, I'm sure it would. But yeah, I always prefer reading books first. But there is enough in there for anybody to make the connection, I think, because she literally puts down the snow globe with two little people in it. Yeah. And then she puts it back to carry on looking for her true parents. And it this is like a one sentence apart. Exactly. This is why I was getting so frustrated. I just wonder if I would have picked it up if I didn't know already. We will never know. I don't remember if I picked it up the first time I read this. I have no memory of that. It's way too long ago. Yeah, found it interesting. After putting down her parents without realizing she's putting down her parents, which also sounds wrong in my brain. She decides to, as I said, carry on looking for her true parents. As frustrating as it is, we will never know if I could have guessed it if I didn't see the movie. But she starts walking around outside and eventually she uh, starts walking through the trees and instead of the tennis courts, it just kind of feels like there's more of a forest continuing, but the trees are only an idea of a tree and they suddenly are gone completely. So it's just this very, very visual, intense situation when everything is turning into nothingness. And nothingness here, as we said, is white. So like she does not even know if she is walking on something. Which is really creepy. Yeah, but like she states that she is not even sure. Like it is stated that she is not even sure if she's walking on anything. And when she is in that nothing place, the cat shows up and goes basically, what are you doing here? The cat does not seem very happy that Mm -hmm. Coraline is in this nothing. Yeah, who would be? No, but that makes me wonder if it's dangerous. If you stay too long in a nothing, if you turn into nothing, you know? Maybe. Because what other reason would the cat have to be not happy that Coraline is in nothingness? I mean, maybe it's just because cats love to stare into nothing. (laughs) Like there's something because they want there to be something because they really don't like nothing. Oh, okay. Makes me wonder if there's (laughs) more to it. But the cat uses this opportunity to give us a lot of exposition information and we get all this that just because Beldam locked all the doors does not mean that the cat cannot get in because Beldam does not know all the doors because this place exists for much longer than Beldam has. Coraline at one point wonders why didn't Beldam create more than just that one part and the cat says spiders webs only have to be large enough to catch flies and Do you know what? There is just one too many spider references. So I would like to go back to this being a praying mantis situation. Thank you very much. Sadly, in the book, there is no other reference but the spider. Yeah, I don't like it. Thanks. We go back with Kat and Coraline towards the house and we realize, oh, we basically walked in a circle like you walk around a planet. We had a whole discussion about that, which probably made it into the bonus for the movie episode. And then we have the rat killing moment here as well as we did in the movie. It is very, very similar, but we get more, I want to say, cat philosophy. Yeah. About playing with your food and that potentially being merciful, which also leads me to wonder, Beldame is also playing with her food, aka Coraline, when she agrees to the game. Yeah. So is Beldame merciful? I mean, it's definitely trying to make that argument or the philosophy is that there are those who have suggested that the tendency of a cat to play with its prey is a merciful one. After all, it permits the occasional funny little running snack to escape from time to time. How often does your dinner escape? So it's like giving an opportunity, but also it's a lost cause. No, it's not a lost cause. It is the sliver of hope that remains. And it is also the reason why Coraline in the end has a chance to survive and escape because Beldame is playing with her. Well, yes, but let's face it. If a cat plays with its prey, it's very unlikely for the prey to run away. It just does not happen. I'm not saying it's likely or probable, but there is hope. And as long as there is hope, there is a chance. Eh. There's a reason why hope is the strongest weapon against everything. Yeah, the most Most dangerous thing. Yes. For everybody. Yeah, because if there is no hope, then there is nothing. Then there is nothing. So we get the rat killing moment because we also get the beautiful sentence with the I'm not fond of rats at the best of times, which direct quote in both book and movie, which I love. And then, of course, we have to go back into the house. 
Mm-hmm. Because the other mother is standing in the door. Waiting. Yeah. Is she waiting? Yeah, I think so. I think that Coraline walks into the hallway and there is a mirror and she looks at herself in the mirror. Oh, and yeah, suddenly, right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. somebody touches her shoulder and turns out Beldum doesn't show up in the mirror. Beldum has no reflection because mirrors are not to be trusted. Also, that means that she's a vampire, right? She's a vampire spider. I think there's more things than just vampires that don't have reflections, but it definitely reconfirms that she is a supernatural being. Vampire. Vampire spider. I mean, there's few things more terrifying for you, probably. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't mind the vampire parts. We have the surprise, basically a jump scare in the book with the Mm -hmm. mother standing behind her. And here we get a quote. Do you know where it is from? How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Sounds like Shakespeare. It is Shakespeare. It is spoken by King Lear about his daughter. Of course. Motherfucking King Lear. So whiny. Once again, we have Shakespeare. And once again, you were right that all the Shakespeare was... A gaming thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame the man because I'm also kind of obsessed with Shakespeare. We get the beautiful Shakespeare quote and then very controlled, which is different than in a movie because in a movie she gets very angry. Very controlled, Beldame puts Coraline behind the mirror as like yeah, a punishment. Yeah, so first she eats the bugs. Oh yeah, right. We have the entire bug eating yeah. scene, but that was so similar. I was like, well, yeah. well it's the same. <laughs> but then there's the silence and they sit in silence looking at each other for over a minute which is a ridiculously long time if you think and about so it. so terrifying like imagine looking at a creature like Beldame for a minute in silence. While wow. she's eating bugs. <laughs> very deliberately and then she just goes manners 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 <laughs> and she Gross. locks her behind the mirror. Ugh. But she is so much more in control of herself yeah. and her reactions in the book that it's so much more terrifying. Because I always feel that when someone gets loud, it is like they're losing control. So it is more the, oh, they are also losing. Mm-hmm. And then they're more prone to make mistakes. But the yep. quiet, stalking Fury. evil is so much scarier. Yep. Yeah. And that already ends our chapter six. Yeah, already. And this is chapter seven. This is chapter seven. And we start on page number 97 for me. And I would not be surprised if you now have a lower page count than I do. Indeed, I do. It's a number 96. Also, maybe that's the thing. Do your chapters always start on this side? Yes. So maybe that's it, because mine this time starts on this side. Ah, yeah. No, I get the picture and then I have empty and then I have the chapter start. Okay, well, that explains that because then my next page is the lovely picture of the three children that is definitely not creepy or anything like that. One of them doesn't even have eyes. Well, because she took them. (laughs) No, but the other two have eyes. I holds. What do you hold? Holds, not holds. I holds. Two have actual eyes and the third one has eye hole. But they're not supposed to have eyes. She took their eyes. But this is not their bodies, yeah? Yeah, but no, that's wrong. Here, here, I have the creepy empty eye holes. Yes, that's disgusting. Yeah, because she took their eyes and their hearts and their souls. They're also wearing what they're supposed to be wearing on yours and not on mine. Mm-hmm. My ghost picture is superior to your ghost picture. Well, but my Beldam eating bugs picture. Oh my god, your Beldam picture eating the bug is the worst the fucking worst it is giving me nightmares ever since i got to it you are welcome thanks lena i really appreciate that we start this with Coraline fighting down a sob and this to me is so important because in the movie Coraline seems so inherently unaffected by most of the things that happened to her. And in the book, she is so scared. She is so sad. She is so terrified. But despite that, she pulls herself together. She fights against it. She pushes down the sob and continues on. And so this is the depth that I was missing for her in the movie. See, this is the difference between the book and the movie again. And we've read into this multiple times now it's because it's told from her perspective we get her inner monologue and we know what is happening inside her while in the very rare moments when we do see her on the outside from the outside in the mirror and stuff she 
always makes a note of looking more put together and less scared on the outside than she actually feels. And that happens multiple times throughout the book. So I feel like they did a really good job and maybe a little bit too good of a job with this in the movie because they just went for I'm strong and independent on the outside. After Coraline fights down the sob, we get more information about the space behind the mirror. And this is so different and so much worse than in the movie because it's tiny. Mm -hmm. She cannot even lie down and stretch out. And also it is completely dark. She has to use her hands to see it. And like she touches things that she does not want to be touching. And this is so gross. This is so scary. This is so terrifying. See, this is why Coraline is so much better than me in every aspect. Um, <laughs> she's truly an explorer. Because you are she... vulnerable. Shut up. Luckily, this is not going to be a word that's going to be coming back. She's a vulnerable explorer. Vulnerable, vulnerable, <laughs> vulnerable explorer. <laughs> I'm sorry. See? I love you. Got it through. Got it mm. through. So she is truly an explorer because she is touching every bit of her prison just to figure out what it's like. Then suddenly she touches a hand. Yeah. And she does a not freak the fuck out as you and I would if there was suddenly a fucking head. I would pee myself. I don't know if I would freak out more if I touched a spider or a cold child's hand. I don't know which one is worse for me. I genuinely couldn't tell you which one would destroy my mentality more. Well, I definitely would not be happy about touching the spider, but suddenly touching a fucking ghost hand uh no 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 no. i would freak the fuck out but also this is the first time anybody well aka one of the children refers to uh, the other mother as beldam yes this is where we get the name drop well we say name but it is written with a lowercase b i was wondering what it actually means so there is a actual meaning to the word, which is malicious or a loathsome of woman. So that is going to be explained in the devil's in the details because Belle Dame is a portmanteau from two words. It actually used to mean something very different. And if you want to know all the details, you have to listen to the devil's in the details. But basically, a long, long time ago, it was simply like I a can grandma. Still remember. It was basically like a, an old woman. Mm-hmm. And it turned into basically what we know as like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. So Malicious. This is something that is super, super fucking interesting. But the original etymology of the word is from beautiful lady. Oh yeah, of course, because it's belle dame. It's belle as in beauty and dame as in a lady. Dame in French. Yeah, I don't speak French. So (laughs) So you keep saying. And so it's it's really interesting that something that originally meant pretty woman turns into meaning ugly hag. Mm. I smell patriarchy. I was about to say, and this, you know what this smells like to me. Um, (laughs) Yes. So we learn some stuff from the children. Oh yeah, we get a lot of exposition. We uh, get through the whole, uh, we've been here for hundreds and thousands of years, Missy. And one of the biggest things for me is that they don't remember their names. They don't remember anything of substance. They have glimpses in their past. Yes. But the names are the first thing to go. They're losing their identity and then a bit by bit they're losing everything else. Because the moment you lose yourself is the moment when you actually lose yourself. (laughs) And also here Baldame does not just take their eyes. She has their secret hearts. That is what she stole. Not just their eyes and their souls but she stole their secret hearts. It's a lot about souls and stuff, which like on one hand, I kind of understand when they went with the eyes because eyes are the windows to the soul. Exactly. Which also makes Beldame so much more scary since you can't see the expression in her eyes and thus you can't look into her. You have a much harder time in reading her intentions because she has button eyes. I mean, Coraline has proven that she can sort of kind of also read the button eyes but nowhere near as reliably or yeah, because like detail. you said the windows to the soul are basically there's shutters <laughs> yeah somebody close the door but not just is the whole soul part more terrifying we also get a much scarier description of what Beldame does to the children, which is taking all that you are and taking your joy and your heart and your soul, leaving you a husk, a wisp 
hollow. And hollow, 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 I know hollow, hollow. I'm going to make you very unhappy, but this is literally what a spider does no. when a spider wraps up an insect, sucks it out and makes it empty and turns it into a hollow husk. So this is so fucking horrifying. And this is a fucking children's book. Not great. Also, I feel very obligated to say that as much as I understand that they're going for the eyes thing for in the film, I find it so much more gross that she is basically looking for eyeballs rather than a representation of a soul, which feels much more poetic. Yeah. But, you know, that's the only thing that I wanted to mention here. With that, Coraline eats her last apple with small bites so it lasts as long as possible and goes to sleep. Which, because we have no YB. There is no YB to rest rescue her from behind the mirror. So she needs to stay there until Beldame decides to let her out, which is horrifying in its own. Mm -hmm. And while she falls asleep, she hears a whispery voice. And I am not sure if it's one of the children. Is it one of the children or is it the father or... It's not made explicit. It is a ghost voice. Is it the house itself? Is it the old thing? Is there maybe like a counterpart to the old evil thing that resides in the hallway? Is it the stone itself? Because like usually in the old fairy stories, you have a certain thing about balance. So Mm. if there is an old ancient evil, there also should be an old ancient good, you know? I think we need to put it on the list. Yes, I really want to put it on the list because I think it is deliberate that it is not made explicitly clear that it is one of the children telling her that. Also, why would one of the children who don't remember anything about their life remember that you need to look through the Adderstone? Makes no yeah. sense to me. How would they even know that she has the Adderstone? Although they were behind the mirror when she was walking around. No, she didn't walk around with it yet. So they don't. They have no way of knowing that she has the stone on her. Aside from ghost it. ways. So yeah. maybe as ghosts you know different things. But I really want to put this on a list because it feels incredibly deliberate to make it not explicit. Specific. Yeah. Do you know what? I expect a very simple answer to that and that is going to be, well, what do you think? Of course, but that does not change the fact I still want to put it on the fucking list. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Because it's made so we assume it's yes. one of the children. Yes. But it's not said that it actually is. Also, I want to point out to our listeners who did not listen to the Lucifer episodes, we are super fucking confident with the, oh, we're putting things on the question list. And of course, at some point, we're going to ask them because we made a question list for Lucifer with the expectation of never fucking ever having like a real chance to ask 90% of those questions. And then it came to be that we were given the opportunity to have half an hour interview with the showrunners of Lucifer. And we got to ask a lot of questions. And so now we're simply putting it into the universe that somehow there is going to be an opportunity for us to ask all of these questions. Yeah, because Neil Gaiman is a reasonable guy. He loves to answer questions from his fans. And also you and me are just some very lucky people. And for some reason, things tend to work out. So we're putting it out into the universe. I love that you're putting it out there like that because that is not my life experience. But if it's yours, I will happy to jump on the bandwagon when it happens. At the end, it always works out. Otherwise, we wouldn't be where we are. Where are we? Wait, where are we? (laughs) (gasps) So, Uh... and that is chapter seven. This is all that we have time for. This (gasps) recording. And who is surprised by this? No one at this point, unless this is the first time you ever listened to us. I'm shook. Yes, shook if to the core of. And yes. so we shall end it here and hope that you tune in again in two weeks for the next part. Will it be the final part? Who knows? We don't because we haven't recorded it yet. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about and we never shut up. Let's put it that way. So thank yes. you so much for listening <laughs> and you can find us on all of your traditional podcasting apps as you found us already I'm gonna delete that thank you so much for listening <laughs> thank you so much for listening please follow us on our social media we have blue sky as well so if you want some codes y'all you know where to find us and we have our patreon of course at patreon.com slash podcast so you can find us there and support us there and if you're really bored please do consider writing us a lovely review on iTunes because it is ridiculous how much it knows how Bye!